Hello and welcome to our Maritime Impact podcast series. I'm your host, Eric Nayus, Director Environment for Maritime at DNV. Efforts to decarbonize the shipping industry continue at a pace. In this third series, we'll continue to explore how the decisions taken by the IMO and other regional authorities aimed at reducing greenhouse gas emissions will impact the maritime sector. We now want to take a closer look at the particular challenges facing certain vessel segments in their attempts to decarbonize efficiently and meet the tightening requirements. To do this, I've invited some of DNV's segment directors who are working with customers over these specific maritime challenges onto the podcast to explore the topics in depth. What are the latest regulations affecting these vessels and what actions should businesses take to ensure they stay compliant and successful? To find out, our segment director for tankers, Katrina Westreng, is joining me to discuss the tanker segment. We hope you enjoy the episode, and now on to the show. So Katrina, many thanks for joining me today. Uh, given all the intricacies of the emerging regulations we've been talking about over the last year, the EEXI, the CII, the SEMP, the ETS, and whatnot, uh, I wonder if you could explain the tanker segment's perspective on these developments. Eirik, tanker business has been exceptionally good in adapting to new requirements. There has been a significant turnaround the last two, three decades with major regulations to react to, such as phase-out of single hull and the implementation of enhanced survey program. The ships and the companies operating in this segment have also been exposed to increasingly strict scrutiny from charters and cargo owners through, for instance, Desire and TMSA. And now... They are faced with new uncertainties on how to efficiently decarbonize and at the same time stay competitive. I guess time will tell if they, based on their previous experience, will be better in handling the change than other segments. What I find interesting, however, is that everyone in the tanker industry now relate to the IMO MEPC meetings when they are, and what has been decided. You're in the wind, Eirik. Before, you were more or less alone in enjoying this, but now everyone wants to listen to what you are saying. That being said, we need to take into account the environment that the tankers are operating in. Due to the past two years with the pandemic, we have seen less demand for oil, which have significantly reduced tanker earnings. We do believe that the fundamentals for improvement soon will be in place, such as increased oil production, pre-COVID oil demand, and increased scrapping. But timing is difficult to predict. So while struggling to keep the ships afloat, there is little time or money to follow up on the new requirements. Thank you for that, Katrina. And I have to admit that I personally am thrilled that MEPC is becoming um, a topic not only for the select few, but that it's actually being talked about in the industry. Uh, That's good news, I think, because it is important. Now, we we do know that tankers are indeed facing challenging business conditions these days, and uh, I would really expect that to shape how they respond to the new incoming regulations. Uh, I mean, less money constrains your options when it comes to uh, what you can do. 
So getting into that more granular regulatory stuff, what do you think would be the most immediate thing that tankers will need to deal with? Well, Eirik, I think the first challenge is the EXI. Most of the owners are these days working out the status of their fleet to prepare for any possible remedies. The impact on the tanker fleet is difficult to predict exactly. However, it is pretty clear that the older tonnage will have the biggest challenge to comply with these requirements. The effects on the individual improvement measures on the attained EXI vary widely. Engine power limitations, or EPL, has the greatest impact so far, enabling EXI improvements up to some 30-40%. This means that most of the tankers will utilize this option. The EPL or speed limitation of, let's say, 0.5 or 1 knots will not necessarily have any important impact on how the ships are operated, since most of the tankers today are slow steaming. That being said, many of the tanker owners are afraid of their competitive advantage towards the charters if they have to reduce the contract speed too much. We do not know exactly how the different charters or cargo owners will utilize the EXI values. However, it is highly likely that EXI will be an important parameter when deciding upon a charter contract. Hence, the tanker owners might look towards other solutions than EPL as well. Obviously, modifying the engine to LNG or LPG as main fuel can likewise result in a significant improvement for gas-ready ships. Retrofitting a shaft generator and or energy-saving devices such as sails or flatner rotor, especially in combination with the EPL, can yield further benefits while lowering the operating cost. When planning engine optimization measures, it's important to ensure that the scope of the NOx technical file is not exceeded. Otherwise, the investment may not be economically feasible. The technical solution on top of EPL are of course cost intensive. So I doubt that we will see these alternatives on the oldest vessels, who perhaps need it the most. Luckily, Eirik, the EXI is a one-time certification only. Yeah, you know, I find it interesting what you say that the uh, the EEXI may actually become important when deciding upon charter contracts, because I think that actually leads us also into the next uh, regulation that is incoming effectively a little later down, further down the road, but still pr- very important, and and that of course is is, is the CII, uh, which in contrast to the EEXI is not a one-off. Maybe you could walk us through how you see the implications of the CII for for the industry as well? Sure, Eirik. I think the next challenge, as you say, is the carbon intensity indicator, the CII. And the targets are set, but all the correction factors and voyage adjustment presently on the table will not be agreed before MFC 78 in June. So more specifically, there are many correction factors proposals for the tankers where the industry feels that the CII formula or trajectory is not suited for their ship type, like, for instance, the combination carriers. 
or perhaps will unfavorable in calculations due to their operational profile. One example is ship-to-ship transfer tankers, which due to the short distance traveled get much higher AER values than other tankers. Another important factor is the proposal connected to the fuel consumption related to cargo handling and heating, typically important for the product and chemical tankers. And then, obviously, we had the factor related to the shuttle tankers operating on dynamic positioning. With their heavy thruster capacity to stay in safe position at the oil offshore field and short distances traveled to the offloading ship or terminal, the operational profile is totally different from a traditional tanker, which they should not be punished for. So still... There are quite a lot of uncertainty when it comes to the CII. But this is your feel, Eirik. Can you tell our tanker customers what they can expect and when? Well, it uh, would, of course, always be great to be able to polish the crystal ball and give a precise prognostics of exactly when we will be getting what. But yeah, you're quite right. Um, On the CII, there is a lot of work ongoing on the correction factors. Um, And we will see the final outcome when we get to MEPC 78 in June. But it does fortunately look as if there will be uh, some relief coming the way of tankers. We have um, uh, the correction factors for cargo handling. We have the SDS operations. We have the shuttle tankers. We have the chemical tankers uh, all on the books. And my reading of the political landscape is that these will survive uh, when we get to MEPC 78, even though a final agreement is pending. But I think it's important for our customers also to note that what the correction factor does is essentially to buy them time because the the reduction rates will mean that they will be facing increasingly difficult uh, challenges um, or reduction rates as we move uh, into the towards the end of this decade so uh, yeah there is uncertainty we are buying some time but things are at least providing some relief the way it looks now um we would certainly advise our operators, uh, or the tanker operators rather, to start incorporating these corrections in their calculations now. Start thinking about the implications, look at how it will play out, so that you'll get a better grasp of the likely impact on your own operations, um, as under the assumption that MPC 78 will endorse these. Um, but of course, it's it's not only the IMO that's taking decisions that will have a short-term uh, impact, Katrina. Uh, we, we are all aware of the EU. They're introducing measures such as carbon pricing, which will essentially come into effect in 2023 um, and be with us for the foreseeable future. Uh, how, how do you think this will impact tankers? Well, there are many questions for what EU might introduce. The biggest uncertainties is perhaps around the ETS. I've done some small calculation and just listen. Let's say you have a VLCC using 60 tons of fuel per day, in total 15,000 tons a year. Your vessel, she's trading between uh, Middle East and Europe, hence 50% reduction of the fuel consumed. Since one ton of fuel corresponds to three tons of CO2, you will have to pay for 22,500 tons of CO2 each year. And with the current carbo pricing of 100 Uh, US dollar per ton of CO2, 
you will have to pay 2,250,000 US dollar a year in CO2 tax to EU. And on top of this, all the administration around carbon trading must be factored in. How, Eirik, is a small tanker owner going to handle this? It's a good question, Katrina. Um, uh, all the details, of course, around the administration and uh, essentially how do you turn a small tanker owner into a carbon trader? We really don't know yet to how that is all going to play out. But what we are sure about is that the ETS is coming in 2023, even if it's being ramped in and we'll see full coverage no later than 2026, maybe 2025. Uh, we do know that it is coming. So operators really need to start thinking about the practicalities of this. Um, and we'd of course be more than happy to have that conversation. It's of course important to recognize that the ETS is a system that creates a cost impact but with uncertainties depending on the carbon price. Uh, th this, of course, also means that any action reducing carbon emissions, efficiencies, smarter operations, new fuels, etc., they'll reduce that cost. So, in essence, the ETS does incentivize reducing emissions. But it will be up to each individual operator, of course, to calculate whether or not it makes sense from a business perspective to do those investments. And that will be, of course, dependent on the, on the dynamics of carbon pricing versus fuel pricing versus OPEX and so on under uncertain conditions. So how this is all going to play out remains very much an open question, but I am convinced that it will drive operating costs upwards. And of course, there is no reason in my mind, at least, to believe that car the long-term carbon prices will become very low again, even if there may be times of great volatility. Uh, we will uh, see this drive OPEX into the future. Now, since we're talking about money, uh, it's not only regulators that, of course, are having cost impacts here. We're seeing initiatives such as the Sea Cargo Charter uh, and the Poseidon Principles. Uh, do you think they will truly matter and truly drive change? I'm pretty sure that they are going to uh, play an important role. And, and we see that it's, it's not only Poseidon Principle and Sea Cargo Charter, but other stakeholders as well. So several financing institutions are requesting reporting according to Poseidon Principles today. It's also a fact that to get financing for new buildings, for example, it's a clear benefit to be able to demonstrate the future environmental performance for a ship. I spend actually, Eirik, a lot of my time supporting owners on this work. The Sea Cargo Charter, with presently 29 signatories, is a global framework for assessing and disclosing the climate alignment of the chartering activities. Hence, word keyword here are accountability, enforcement, and transparency. It will be interesting to see what the different charters will do in order to verify compliance, but I guess they will follow up this closely. The bottom line is that the number of external institutions that will require information and transparency about the operation and performance of the tankers that being environmental, social or governance, will just continue to increase. And obviously the administrative burden for the tanker operators will increase with the same speed. 
That is why we at DNV are developing solutions to our customer to ease the burden and at the same time giving them the tool to benchmark and improve their operations. Thank you, Katrina. It seems pretty clear to me that uh, we have regulators and we have non-regulators and they're all going to uh, increase the complexity of operations, as you say. Now, uh, of course, what we've been talking about primarily so far is fleets in service, existing ships operating essentially. But of course, we do have a new building market. Um, How do you think all of these regulations and initiatives are going to play out when it comes to that market? Well, Eric, the new building market has been slow for some time now. Obvious reasons is the new building price, low tank rates and few available slots. But the biggest reason is perhaps that it's almost impossible for the owners to know what to order how to future-proof my ship at a decent cost. LNG has been evaluated to be the most promising fuel for now, and we see lots of tankers going for this solution. Presently, 20% of the order book and 40% of all the bigger tankers measured in Groston were ordered with LNG fuel. The challenge, of course, Today is that uh, the price of LNG is skyrocketing in addition to quite high capex for the dual fuel systems. We do see, however, that many of the MR tankers uh, lately has been ordered with methanol as fuel. Methanol is probably the simplest alternative uh, fuel. It's easy to operate, it's less capex. The challenge, of course, is hardly any reduction in the CO2 for the brown methanol. Uh, it's unknown price and availability for the bio or e-methanol. Another highly discussed fuel is the ammonia. And this could be very efficient uh, greenhouse gas-wise. But if we have enough renewable energy to produce e-ammonia for shipping, I'm a bit in doubt about The challenge, of course, is the safety aspect. And in our latest project with Total and Samsung, we looked at the cost environmental benefit to convert a ship from LNG fuel to ammonia. All the result, which is very interesting, are on the Maritime Impact website. But faced with the difficult decisions on what would be the perfect fuel of the future, many owners are these days installing technology to reduce the fuel consumption. It is difficult to predict the future fuel prices, but all the common sense says that the prices will be higher for the less carbon-intensive fuel, so you should focus to reduce the total consumption. And based on our experience and competence, we are running techno-economical evaluations to support our customers to make healthy decisions. Thank you for that, Katrina. And I guess that uh, I sense that despite uh, the emerging complexity of the regulatory space, we're also seeing solutions evolving. We are, uh, and they may be complex and they may be, may be expensive, but at least we do have solutions that appear to be, uh, uh, to be well, appear to be appearing, I guess. Uh, and any last words for the listeners? Any final advice that you'd like to offer? Well, it's, it's a blurry situation we are in now, but... If I'm going to name someone, is consider implementation of fuel-efficient technology. 
uh, and if you are looking at a new building, a flexibility for your fuel choice. Apart from that, uh, I must say contact us. We have developed a carbon risk framework to support decision making as part of retaining a vessel's fuel flexibility. Our Fuel Boss platform, for instance, facilitates bunker operation for LNG and possible future fuels. And these are just two examples of our extensive tools we have at hand, not to forget our experts around the world, that supports you with your existing fleet and new building choices. Thank you, Katrina. And I, of course, would heartily endorse your advice to contact us. So with that, thank you very much, Katrina, for the this input. Uh, it's been great talking to you and, uh, well, have a good day. Thank you for having me, Eirik. So to the key takeaways. This raft of new regulations, hitting at a particularly challenging period for the tanker industry, has left the segment in a difficult position. Most of the owners are now working on the status of the fleet to verify their emissions and hopefully meet the required carbon emission limits imposed by the EEXI regulations for ships in service. If numbers don't look good, consider engine power limitations as they can be easy to implement and an effective measure to achieve the required limits. Following the EEXI, we'll be getting CII in the very near future. There are still many uncertainties left as possible correction factors and voyage adjustments are to be decided at MEPC 78 this June, but we do see clarity emerging. The impact of further measures that the regulators and financial institutions worldwide may introduce are not yet totally clear for tankers. But it is vitally important to be able to demonstrate future environmental performance for a ship to get new building finance, to get charter contracts, and to be less impacted by possible carbon pricing schemes. As we look towards a decarbonized future, flexible, fuel-efficient technologies will be a significant step forward for tankers. Katrina's advice, which I echo, is to consider how your business can look to implement technologies that best fit your operational profiles and to do so as soon as possible. Thank you for joining us for this episode. It's been an interesting conversation and it's been a true pleasure to discuss decarbonization of the tanker segment with Katrina, who has indeed highlighted some of the key challenges that tankers are facing. She's also given us a sense of optimism over what can be achieved as we get new technologies being deployed and, of course, when we as an industry can all pull together. You've been listening to the Maritime Impact Podcast from DNV with me, Eric Nayus. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to give us a rating or a review.